Welcome to St. James. Glad you guys are here. Sorry about that with the audio. A um, couple quick announcements. Uh, the usual one, 1130 uh, this morning, uh, Bible study, the Zoom Bible study over, uh, we're studying the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit uh, acting as a seal. There's uh, three or four uh, good biblical texts where the Holy Spirit is described as a seal, God's seal on us, and we're going to look at what that means. Also at noon today, also on Zoom, uh, a meeting, congregational meeting to talk about, uh, to vote on hiring um, a new office manager. We've been without one for uh, since March, and so we'd like to hire a new office manager. If you would like to participate in either the meeting or the Bible study, please, or both, uh, please get a hold of me and uh, let me know, and I'll send you an invitation for that. All right, that's the only announcements I have. If you guys could stand and we'll begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to God Almighty, before the whole company of heaven, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed, by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray God Almighty to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and... I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Saint, Saint Matthew, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
epistle reading for this morning is uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Uh, this is, uh, follows on from our reading from last week. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week we talked about a new creation. Paul's at the end of the story that he's telling here, the story of salvation. And he uh, paints this incredibly beautiful picture uh, for us of the universe that Jesus will create when he returns and makes all things new. But you'll also notice the past few weeks that there's that theme, but then there's this other stream that's running in and out of it that Paul constantly keeps bringing back into it. And that's the theme of suffering. And, you know, we started off several weeks ago where Paul said, you guys are the heirs of all things. Those of you who are in Christ are the heirs of all. You, you inherit the whole world. The whole universe belongs to you someday when it's made new, provided you suffer with Jesus. Provided you suffer with Jesus. So there's these two themes going on here. And it's just a little bit frustrating that he can't just like get over the bad stuff and get to the good stuff, right? But Paul is not going to, Paul refuses to Paul refuses any sort of triumphalistic vision where everything's okay. Paul, if in fact Christianity is the one religion of all the world religions and philosophies that recognizes both the brokenness of the world and the inherent beauty of the world. But both the fallenness of human beings and they're made in the image of godness. And so Paul's not going to let this go. There's this new creation that's coming and is in fact already here and it's working itself into the present creation, but there still will be suffering along the way. Now, today, the text that we have, these two verses, is going to have to do with uh, the suffering part. And what does it mean to be suffering human beings, suffering with all the rest of humanity, right? Suffering human beings on the path to new creation. What does that look like? And specifically, what does it have to do with our prayer life? He's going to bring prayer into the equation here. Because A, he wants to talk about prayer, and B, he wants to talk about what prayer means. What prayer means. And this might be a little bit surprising to you. It doesn't, I'm not just going to say prayer is talking to God. That's true, of course, but there's a deeper fundamental meaning to prayer here. So let's get into it. Let's get into, uh, for, so we're talking about suffering and glory. There's going to be two things. There's going to be a problem, which is that we as human, as, as human Christians live in between suffering and glory, and so have to grapple with both of them. That's the problem. The solution, that's the second part, is going to be that God makes us one with himself. And I'll unpack that so that sounds less generic when we get there, okay? So let's start with verse 26. Uh, Paul says, likewise, and of course that word likewise there demands us to go back and see what it is that's being compared here. He's saying, I'm about to say something that's the same as what I said to you in the verses that we read last week, which we're not looking at now. I'll read them to you again in just a second. So he's, he's talking about last week, and he's saying that similarly, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too, too deep for words. Okay. Part of what it means to be a fallen Christian living in a suffering world is that you and I don't know what to pray for like we ought. Now, maybe you're there thinking, well, yeah, I know what to pray for. I'm not, I'm not an idiot, you know. I, I know what I should pray for. 
Okay, well, let me, before we uh, to talk about Paul, let me just say, Paul's disagreeing with you. He's saying you don't know what to pray for. We as Christians, we don't know what to pray for. This is not a matter of ignorance. Like Angela and I t- are teaching our kids to pray in family devotions. And sometimes we'll get that. We'll get the, well, I don't know what to pray for. What's there to pray for? This is not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying that we don't know what to pray for because we're just dumb or because we can't think of anything good to say to God at the moment. He means that we don't know what to pray for because of our weakness. That's the word he uses there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Okay, what does he mean by weakness? How are we weak? Not mentally weak, not physically weak, but he actually uses this word weakness back up in verse 3, which let me read this to you. Maybe some of you will remember this. He says, for what... For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The weakness of the flesh is what he's talking about. The weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, we don't know what to pray for because we're sinful. We don't know what to pray for because we're inherently selfish. Let me explain to you uh, what what, what Paul means here. Everything that we do, even even the holiest of things that you do, even praying is colored it's colored by our own sinful desires and our own sinful nature. Like we, we try to do right, and I'm not saying you can't do right as a Christian with the help of Christ, but on this side of the new creation, everything that we do will be messed up, discolored, broken by our sinful desires. And so it, we don't even know what to pray for because, let me, now, now I'm going to get to what, I, what, what Paul means here. We don't know what to pray for because our desires for new creation, in other words, our desires for God to make all things right, to heal our sicknesses and to heal our relationships, it's always muddied up by our sinful desires to get what we want. It's always muddied up by our sinful desires to get what we want. And so that means that prayer is always going to be a struggle. We want to pray for what God wants, but we always want to pray for what we want, and we don't know where the line is between these things. So because of our weakness, we don't know what to pray for. Okay, let me give you an example real quick if I can. This is, actually before I do that, let me just say there's, there's a reality about our world that's behind here. And the reality, some of you are going to struggle with this because some of you are like, there's right and there's wrong and you do the right and you don't do the wrong. And that's, there is right and wrong, I'm not denying that. But in a sinful, broken world, frequently there's no good choice. There's no right choice. There's no right thing to pray for. So one of my favorite movies growing up was, um, does anybody know this movie, Uh, 12 O'Clock High with uh, Gregory Peck? It's a World War II movie, and it's about this bomber squadron that's based in England. And when I was a kid, I loved this movie because the B-17s and uh, World War II history and stuff like that. But I watched it recently. I watched it within the past five or six years. And I actually saw the, like, the meaning of the movie for the first time. It's about this bomber squadron, and it's, it's a hard luck squadron. They lose tons of planes. They're beat up. They're psychologically battered. And so this guy, uh, it's pretty good, wasn't it? So this guy uh, who's in charge, who, who sits on, he's kind of a big boss, goes to the squadron to figure out what their problem is. And he realizes that the current commander of the squadron, who's a friend of his, has gone soft. He has emotionally connected with his men. And so he's real gentle with them. He's not strict with the discipline. 
he, you know, if they're feeling sick or something or don't feel like flying, he'll kind of let it go. You know, you don't have to fly today. And as a result, there's no discipline and the squadron's getting beat up. So his friend, the big boss, decides, I'm going to take over the squadron and whip it into shape. And he's real hardcore. And he does. But he's, he is completely careless with the lives of his men. And he just drives him and drives him and drives him. And to the point where he can't deal psychologically with the fact that he is demanding that these young guys go to their deaths. And the last scene of the movie is, like, he's catatonic. He can't, get, he can't actually physically get into his plane anymore. The last scene of the movie is he's lying on this cot as his squadron returns from a fight. And so I, you know, as a kid, I just liked the movie, but, but realizing, watching it recently, realizing what the meaning of it is, is that in war, there's no right way to do things. So in war, should you be gentle? Should, should, you, be, should you care for your, the, your men in war? The answer is no, that doesn't work. Should you be hard and strict with your men in war? And the answer is no, that doesn't work either. And the reason why is because in war, everything's bad. Nothing works in war. You and I, as Christians, living in between the suffering and the new creation, in the middle of the suffering, in fact, that's our reality frequently. There's, there's nothing, there's, sometimes there are no good choices. There's nothing right to pray for. Let me give you a tiny example, a small example, and then kind of a more serious example. So I was reading this book recently because I was working on this Bible study I'm doing on Wednesday nights, and I was reading this book about applying the Bible to our lives, and there's a discussion in this book about praying for team sports. And you guys, anybody who's played team sports before or you've had kids in team sports, you know what this is like. If you've gone to a Christian school, a Lutheran school, then... Um, they pray before the games, and there's this, you know, as an athlete, too, like, growing up, I was always like, well, how do I pray for this? Like, how do I pray for this game? Like, I, I, I want to pray, you know, God, let me win this game. But I'm always like, well, that's kind of selfish, right? Does God even care about who wins? I don't think, God doesn't care who wins this game. And I, actually, I think God does care who wins the games. I think God cares about everything. But there's always this sense of, like, we shouldn't pray, you know, like if you went to a, a Christian school basketball game and the person opened in prayer and said, God, help our team uh, win, you'd be like, oh my goodness, that's the worst, most selfish prayer ever. Although that's actually the prayer that's on your heart, right? This is what Paul's saying. We don't know what to pray for, not because we're dumb, but because the prayer that's actually on our heart is frequently the one that's weak in the flesh. So, well, how do you, okay, so let's pray for God's will then. Oh, God, give us good health. I mean, it's like it, your prayers get narrowed down to where basically you can say, you know, God, we're here at this basketball game, and I guess may your will be done. And so you're actually, your heart's actually not being exposed to anybody else or to God either. And the reason why is, you know what the reason why is, is because my prayer that my team will win the game is a backhanded prayer that your team will lose. And that can't possibly be, that, that's selfish, right? I'll give you another example. Very, very similar. You know, you're praying because, you know, you have financial needs and you're praying like, God, I want this promotion at work. God, can you get me this promotion at work? Well, that prayer, that, that prayer is a prayer that somebody else won't get the promotion. But, but what are you supposed to pray for? Like, God, don't give me the promotion? You, again, you can do just sort of the baseline. I'm not really praying anything. Like, God, I can't say anything, but may your will be done. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But then what are you praying for? You're not praying for anything. And you know why? Because you don't know what to pray for. Because of the weakness of the flesh. 
That's the problem, is we're stuck in this weak flesh, and we really don't know what to pray for. I mean, there's this sense that we should be praying for things, and I'm not about to say don't pray, but I am saying because of the way the world is working right now, in between the fall and new creation, we don't know what to pray for. Okay, here's the solution. God is with us. God is with us. Let me tell you what I mean. It's not not just generic here. Let me tell you what I mean. Actually, let's read verse uh, 26 and 27 again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, in your suffering, maybe it's low-level suffering. Maybe it's just like, I really, really want to win this game. Maybe it's big-level suffering, like save this loved one of mine from dying. Maybe it's big-level suffering. In your suffering, God is suffering with you. God, this is one of the things that the text is saying, is that God is suffering with you. It's not, I'm not saying that God suffered back on the cross, and now he kind of helps you in your suffering. I'm saying that God, when you suffer, God is suffering with you. Now, let me get to the likewise. That's where the likewise comes in, okay? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit groans with us with groanings that can't be uttered. Now, that word groaning, it should be familiar to you from the reading last week. That, word, that same word groaning was mentioned two times last week. First of all, in verse 22, Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And the whole universe is groaning together in this sort of like delivering baby, this is delivering a baby image. The whole universe is groaning in pain, waiting for the children of God to be revealed when Jesus returns. The whole universe is suffering because of what Adam and Eve did, waiting for Jesus to fix everything. But the, the whole, it's not just the universe that's suffering and groaning. It's also us, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of God. We too are groaning. We're suffering. We're waiting. Like, God, come and fix this. God, come and make all things new. God, I stub my toe and it hurts really bad. What I want is a world where toes don't hurt anymore. We, we groan inwardly waiting for this. And what God is saying here is he's not saying, I see you're groaning, I see the creation's growing, and I acknowledge it, and I am on your side. I'm rooting for you guys. What he's saying here in verse 26 is, I am coming along with you, and I am groaning with you. I'm going to go through this with you. So my wife does, uh, my wife uh, facilitates uh, Grief Share, which is a really fantastic ministry if you're ever involved in any sort of um, you know, if you lose a, someone close to you, whether it's recent or a long time ago, and you just want to like wrestle with it, Grief Share is a really phenomenal ministry, and she facilitates uh, Grief Share groups. And this isn't really a commercial for Grief Share. I just want to point out to you that one of the most powerful things about Grief Share is that you do it with you know four, six, eight, ten other people. And anybody who's lost somebody close to them before knows what it's like to go to the grocery store because you have to get butter. And, you know, you walk down the aisle and there's these people like walking past you shopping and they just look like they're having normal days shopping. And you're thinking in yourself, inside yourself, like, how can they just walk past me like nothing's going on when I'm dying inside? Well, this is one of the main things people report when people, when they lose somebody close to them is this feeling of abandonment or alone, being alone that nobody else is experiencing this. Well, grief share is powerful because... You're actually with other people who are experiencing the exact same things. 
how much more powerful is it to know that the Creator God is not just, they're there, I get it. I remember when I was uh, you know, back living on earth and I skinned my knee too. No, the Creator God is actually suffering right along with you. Actually groaning right along with you. So we're going to get to prayer in a second. But this is, the first, this is the first thing that Paul wants to point out to us before he gets to what this means for prayer is, is that our suffering is completely, um, completely, the, 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 the definition of our suffering, suffering is that God is suffering with us. You cannot think about human suffering outside of the fact of God suffering with us. I had a paper turned into me recently this past year by a student, and it was a paper over the topic of suffering and God. And there's, I, I told you this before, one of the main arguments against the existence of God is I can't believe in a God who would allow suffering to happen. So we talk about this, and this student turns in this paper, and the paper says, I, I get it, I get what you're saying, I know about the whole suffering like thing 2,000 years ago, but like that was done, like that happened and it was done, and now God's kind of like in heaven saying, you guys have to suffer down there, and I'm kind of comfortable up here. And what, what Paul is saying is that that's not the case. God is not comfortable up in heaven. The suffering of God continues wherever your suffering happens. The suffering of Jesus, the suffering of the Holy Spirit, the groaning of the Holy Spirit is happening wherever your groaning is at. Okay, what does this have to do with prayer? We're almost done here. Paul wants to connect this to prayer because prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is communion with God, literally communion with God. See what's going on here? So, uh, I love this. This is my, one of my favorite texts in the Bible, and I'm super excited to get to explain this to you. So let's look at what's going on here. You and I don't know what to pray for like we ought. So what's going on? The Holy Spirit, verse 26, himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Now, check this out. Listen, it's super important. We don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit is inside of you right now, praying through you, for you. The Holy Spirit's actually interceding inside of you, for you. This is unbelievable. The, the, what, what do you mean by interceding? Well, he's talking to God the Father. Look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts, that's just a good old-fashioned Old Testament term for God the Father. The one who knows the hearts of all men. All men. He who searches hearts, Knows what is the mind of the Spirit. God the Father knows what God the Holy Spirit's mind is. They know each other. They talk to each other all the time. They love each other. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You and I don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit does know what the will of God is. The Holy Spirit does know what to pray for. So check this out. The Holy Spirit is inside of you talking to God the Father right now. Interceding for you. That's what Romans 8, 26 and 27 means. Well, how, how is it possible that that's happening to you? How is it possible that I happen to be a conduit for the relationship between the Holy Spirit and God the Father? That when, when, the, when, when the, this eternal, permanent, perfect relationship that the Trinity has, how is it that I get to be the means, the telephone line that they talk to each other by? And the answer is, is the way we end all of our Christian prayers when we pray in Jesus' name. What we're saying is, is God, I'm just Aaron Miller. I'm like a broken, screwed up human being. But if I come to you in Jesus' name, if I come to you under the auspices of your son, whom you love and never, ever turn away, that you will accept me as well, just like you accept him. 
I come in Jesus' name. I walk into the throne room of God in Jesus' name, in the person of Jesus, united to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in me is talking to God the Father. All three members are involved in our prayer. You see, prayer is not just talking to God. It certainly is, but it's much more than that. Prayer is God's way to have fellowship with himself. Prayer is God's way for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Spirit to communicate to each other through us, using us as a kind, even when we don't know the words to say. God is inside of us. God is with us, having fellowship with himself and pulling us into this relationship as well. Don't stop praying. Even if you don't know what to pray for, even because you don't know what to pray for, God himself has pulled you into this relationship. And is re- that, this is the key to getting from suffering to new creation is that God himself is carrying us there. And prayer is one of the best ways he does it. Prayer is one of the main ways that God connects us to himself. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who uh, inhabits us as individuals, inhabits us as your church, and who even in our fallenness and our brokenness, even in our weakness, is praying to you through us. We thank you for including us in this relationship, for letting us be a part of this eternal Trinitarian relationship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, stand with me and let's continue in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we uh, continue in prayer. We come before you and we praise and we thank you for who you are. Not just for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but for revealing who you are to us. And also for not just telling us who you are, but for bringing us close into you. For bringing us into this unbelievable relationship. For telling us that we are the beloved ones. That we are the ones who belong. That even in our brokenness and our weakness, even in our rebellion and our fallenness, you own us. You've pulled us into your family. You've pulled us into your trinity. And you let us know you and be loved by you. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for everybody who, again, this week we pray for everybody who's suffering with sickness. The people here in our church family who have uh, the virus uh, Uh, people all over the place who are getting it and who are struggling with bad health. We pray that you would give them good health and that you would heal them. Uh, Give us the grace to love each other, Lord, to serve each other with our actions, to not be strong-headed or uh, willful, but to love each other and to do what's best for each other throughout this time of sickness. I also pray, Father, that you would be with those who are struggling with all their kinds of issues too, and especially this morning with those who are mourning. We want to pray for uh, Marta Wilson, uh, who lost her brother Craig Gathman this week suddenly, that you would bring hope and comfort to her and her family, and that you would uh, convince them one more time afresh of the reality of your son's resurrection, and how Craig will be raised again on the last day to newness of life, and that you would give them hope in that resurrection power. Lord, in your mercy. And Father, we also want to praise you for new life. We want to praise you for the birth of Susanna Van to Will and Katie and uh, praise you for uh, their good health so far and pray that you would continue that good health. And Father, be with Susanna and uh, bless her with the power of your Holy Spirit as she belongs to you. She's one of your children. Uh, May she never ever know a single day of her life where she does not fully experience what it is to be loved by you and to love you. And be with Will and Katie as they raise her. Give them wisdom. Uh, Give them uh, the grace 
to be broken and fallen before Susanna so that she can see grace, that she can see your forgiveness firsthand. And just bless that family. Uh, Give them uh, spiritual and physical health. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we come before you and pray, uh, like as we've read in the text, we come before you and pray because of your son Jesus who has bound us up in himself and now brings us into your presence with himself. But also, we come before you and pray not because we know what to pray for, but because your Holy Spirit is interceding even now on our behalf. And so we pray this prayer only by the power of the Holy Spirit and only in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Your pardon is a gift of love. 